I hope it's a sort of kind and generous film. And I think the success of the show historically has been the dignity uh, and love for all the characters. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In today's episode, the residents and staff of the beloved English Manor House return in director Simon Curtis's romantic period drama, Downton Abbey, A New Era. Based on the popular television series and a follow-up to the 2019 feature film, A New Era reacquaints us with the Crawley family and their servants, as some venture to the south of France, while others remain behind to oversee the shooting of a film at their estate. In addition to Downton Abbey, A New Era, Mr. Curtis's directorial credits include the feature films The Art of Racing in the Rain and Goodbye, Christopher Robin, and episodes of the series The Practice and Tracy Takes On. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theatre in Los Angeles, Mr. Curtis shares insight into the making of Downton Abbey, A New Era, with fellow director Amy Holden-Jones. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. Was it was an antidote, I said, to the current dark times. It's, it's a beautiful family story, and they begin to feel like our family, the Downton family. What was the best thing for you about doing this film, Simon? Well, it got me out of the house in lockdown. <laughs> um, but honestly, it was a real privilege to work with that ensemble. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they are some of the, well, you could argue, almost the greatest ensemble of, of, of British actors there's ever been, certainly who've stayed together for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And that was an immense privilege as a director to work with those actors and you know, be able to tap into those histories and those relationships. I was wondering about that in terms of working with the actors. So much of a performance, and you're a particular master at this, is crafted in part by the feedback from the director. Did they wish for less feedback because they felt they knew who they were more than anybody else? Well, no, but you know, the, the, the thing that, no, that, that people don't often say about directing is that every actor has a different version of how you can help them. Sometimes it's they want a lot of notes. Sometimes they don't want any notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, I worked with some actors on different things and they've, they've wanted different versions of that as well. I was very fortunate that I had worked with a lot of these actors before. I mean, I'd never worked on Downton Abbey before, but, you know, I'd worked with, um, Maggie before and, uh, Imelda multiple times and married to Elizabeth and, um, uh, Hugh and, and so on through various passes. So is there a recurring crew for Downton Abbey? So um, that you had a crew in place already or what did you pull? No, because, in? I mean, I mean, they, they, they did a film, I think, three years ago and that was two or three years after the end of the series. The, the HODs uh, were inherited. I mean, Donal Woods, who designed it, I'd worked with, I think, on five or six things. And Ben Smithard, who had shot film one, was supposed to shoot this. And then he had a scheduling conflict. He, he, he went off to do the Judd Apatow Netflix film. So he suddenly wasn't available, which was a bit upsetting to me because, as I say, I had a, I'd worked with him five or six times too. But I seized the opportunity and uh, because I was as influenced uh, uh, in this film, not so much by the series, but 
by Julian's Gosford Park. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I took inspiration song, from yeah. Altman, who's a genius at the ensemble cast. But that film was shot by Andrew Dunn. And uh, I invited him to shoot this and he said yes. So, um, uh, he, I mean, he's, he's, I think this was his 70th film. And he was a joy to work with and uh, uh, I think elevated us all. It's interesting because you don't perceive a difference in the look. It seems kind of seamless in the extraordinary and beautiful looking film. Was he in any way matching previous things or was he doing his own thing with you? Um, well, a bit of both, I suppose. I mean, obviously we, we, we studied it, but he would always talk about, you know, let's find a different angle we haven't seen before. And I think we were greatly helped in, with this story that the, the film within a film and the black and white felt very different to anything you'd seen before. And of course, the trip to France and the colors and the lights and the, that, that house, you know, it was very different. So I think that gave us a sense of, uh, of you know, making it our own. I'd like to hear any story you have about the film within a film. It's quite an interesting and different element. Well, I mean, obviously, inevitably, uh, the, 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 our friends, the critics, have talked about Singing in the Rain and the influence on that story. Uh, and uh, I understand why. But in fact, wasn't able to do the, the correct accent when it became a talkie. And uh, so they, they hired another British actress to stand behind the camera and say her lines. So, I mean, for us, it was a blackmail story not a singing in the rain story but <laughs> yes. there you go is maggie smith actually eternal <laughs> i hope so i hope so too man she is unchanging from film to film but she doesn't seem to change at all uh it's particularly moving uh, do you want to speak at all about what it was like to film her death i mean that yeah well i mean that was incredibly moving on you know because on the one hand, you know, the, the, the characters were saying goodbye to the matriarch of their family. Uh, another, you know, it was a group of actors who had been cast as a family who now were a family. And going round that room, we knew which, which member of the cast had lost a parent and uh, who had lost a partner. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was a very moving, very moving indeed. And of course, they were saying goodbye to one of the great experiences of their careers, which was working with Maggie Smith. Is she retiring now? So this is, she well, said it she was to say she would. And then in the car on the way home from her last day, I got a call from a producer saying, I'm about to work with Maggie Smith. Have you got any tips? <laughs> so so, <laughs> so uh, I, I think she's actually filming in Ireland as we speak. Oh, my God. It doesn't surprise me at all, actually. Mm. <laughs> so I have noticed a pattern in all of the of Doubtnet, including the series and the films, which you mentioned already from the writer Julian Fellows, which is unlike it's they're not structured at like almost anything else in that it has a gigantic cast of characters, even in the one hour television shows. And normally there'll be three or four storylines that you follow. In this one, in these in the, both the television and the films, they're 15 storylines you're following and yet it's it's in within the context of a certain time frame and part of how that's accomplished in the script is very short scenes a lot of short scenes and did that pose problems with transitions for you or yeah i mean the thing i would say is that i would say to um the adam who is the, the brilliant ad who'd never worked on downtown before uh, you know, there's no such thing as an easy scene in this film because there'll be a one-liner, they cut the cake, and 
we'd be ready to rehearse and half of British equity would turn up over the hill ready to do the scene. <laughs> and you had to sort of be aware that you had to, you know, accommodate all these faces and all, all these people. Or the other thing that Gillian does a lot is there's a, you know, a two page scene that seems relatively easy. And then when you're actually staging it, you realize it's actually four or five mini scenes that all need their own coverage. So that was the kind of thing that I found the trickiest of all. Yes. Okay. Well, that's interesting because it, it moves so much all over. Here you are with these people in the kitchen and their problems. And then here you are, you know, with the cake or with the funeral or with Maggie Smith. I mean, it's all over. Yeah. And yet it all and But what we really didn't know is how it would work cutting back and forth to France, you know. And mm -hmm. as, you, as everyone here knows, you don't never really know till you're in the cutting room. Yes. I was going to ask about that, about the editing process. How long was your first cut? It wasn't that much longer. I mean, I think it was that, I mean, there was like, I think the first cut was 20 minutes longer than this. Oh. But I, I'd already started cutting dialogue. I mean, that's the great beauty of Julian's writing that it's very cuttable as well. <laughs> did, you re did you reposition stuff? A, a little, yeah. Uh, we we, we um, grouped together French scenes and film within the film scenes more than were in the, the, the original script. Right. So you could follow it more easily. Right? Yeah. yeah. So you didn't go back and forth so often. Okay, the real crucial question is, did you get to live in that house? <laughs> Either didn't, one? We, we didn't get to live in it, but I mean, one of the, I mean, Focus very bravely uh, greenlit this film uh, at the, the peak of uh, the pandemic. And in fact, we collectively did 15,000 COVID tests while making this film. But the one thing they said was, you've got to have British alternatives to all the French locations in case the travel ban isn't lifted and you can't go. Oh so gosh. in prep, that was tricky because you were prepping France via video because I wasn't able to go. And we were traipsing all over the UK trying to find the French Riviera. And at one point I was standing in a sort of dismal park in West London <laughs> with the, the, the producers convincing me this could be the Mediterranean, you know. It was, um, but um, uh, we did get to go to France, uh, but only with two weeks' notice. But on the one condition that we had to quarantine in a hotel in juan les pins for a week. So, so uh, that was like a, a, a career highlight, this, you know, with this, this group of actors <laughs> in a hotel by the pool in Juan Le Pen. <laughs> Gee, that sounds like hell, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. What other COVID problems came up? Well that, well, that was the main one. I mean, they're just, you know, constantly testing. We, we never, luckily never had to shut down. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's always in, in your mind's eye, obviously. Were you particularly worried about people like Maggie, for example? Yeah. That, yeah. You, did you try to limit the number of people in scenes with her, for example? Or No, but, I mean, we were lucky in a way that, uh, as per the story, Violet wasn't in a lot of the big ensemble scenes, mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of them were in that room. But that wasn't a, a, a COVID decision, I don't believe. I'm interested in how some of the characters transitioned and changed from the last time we saw them and how you handled that and they were some of them were in somewhat different places than they were they had evolved in the ensuing years uh, well i think it's only about nine months after the last film in fact in uh -huh. story terms yes but don't you feel some of them were in different places i suppose so yeah i mean i mean that's the great thing about this cast they come very well prepared and they they have their own version of the, the backstory mm -hmm. Was there any plot line that was left on the cutting room floor? No. There was only two tiny scenes that we shot that aren't in the film. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of Mr. Carson in the French kitchen. 
but everything else is there. Wow, that is incredibly rare. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, I am uh, wondering if you have any feelings of what you, how you hope the film will be received. It's such a dark time, and the, so much of the material coming out is very dark material. And uh, I personally hope that it brings some sort of light into the world here, that it's not just endless nihilism in all directions. Well, I mean, I hope it's a sort of kind and generous film. And I think, you know, the the USP, the secret of the success of the show historically has been um, the dignity uh, and love for all the characters. Uh, And my biggest hope is that it's a two-hour escape for people from the you know the trauma of the news cycle i mean that is my biggest hope does is there ever any reaction to that in britain but or is pe- people just love it that they the class differences don't play as conflict they play as a family and so- i don't know i mean if, if anything i think it's be- the, the, the show is better received here than in england really yeah and why is that do you think i don't know but you know um that, you know, England is not great on uh, with its own successes for a start, you know. And um, but uh, no, I mean, coming here uh, is always a joy for, for the Downton people. Huh. Well, I'm not surprised because it's sort of a for me anyway, and probably for an awful lot of people, it's a wish fulfillment kind of a show. You, in a beautiful place, you'd love to be in with people you'd like to be with. Yeah. So, um, does anyone have any questions from the audience? Uh, yeah, we did a bit, um, uh, especially around the, the funeral, um, but not really previs. But uh, and also, you know, we had to work really hard on the the film within the film, just because the the, the I mean, that was almost the hardest sequence. Um, that dinner at the end, where uh, you, you know, we were in this confined space at Highclere with um, our own crew, the fake crew. The camera in this gigantic box, those 19th century costumes, and then all the family coming to watch. So that that was the biggest task, I, I think. To be honest, I don't know I, I, because that decision for him not to be in it predates me. Uh, so, but I think he might have been doing the Godfather, you know, the uh, the offer. I think I, I, I don't know to be honest. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, the food. I mean, the, the thing about this show is that there's so many experts always you know what i mean and uh, there's a food expert and a silent film expert and an etiquette expert you know so i was the beneficiary of that most of the time but also it was great because um going to france or uh having the film crew come uh gave me liberty to say well no we're not these aren't the usual rules we can do what we like now you know so that was quite liberating huh that's interesting yeah, there was certainly a funeral expert. It's a very particular funeral. It's fairly interesting to see the way that's done. Yeah, someone said the other day, which I found quite moving, that you know, in the last couple of years, when so many, we've lost so many people who haven't been able to have the proper send-off, and that seeing Violet given that send-off is very cathartic. And you know, I, I thought that was a, a, a lovely point. When you were originally offered it, was this something you just jumped at, or do you have any hesitation? Well, I thought it came as quite a risk, both professionally and personally. Um, so I, 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 you know, I did think about it a lot. Um, but uh, I loved the script, and as I say, I loved the actors, and I loved the um, the new storylines. And I thought it was a tremendous privilege to do 
the, the final violet scene as well. Well, I mean, but that's part of it, isn't it? You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, they, they had plenty of brilliant directors working on it through the years uh, and coming in. And, you know, the first film had been a tremendous success. Um, uh, and also because I, I was so close to so many of the actors, you know, I didn't want to let them down. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I really thank you. Is there anything you'd like them to know about the film and the making of the film? No, I think that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm really thrilled that people came out and it seems, you know, the, the audiences uh, are returning uh, in the older age group to see it. So I'm very excited about that. Yeah, we're excited and we're very pleased to have you and very grateful you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank, the, you. thank you, Amy. You know how much I admire you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America 